It is awesome to be here this morning. I want to start by thanking Pastors Mark and Valerie for for inviting me to speak. I've always said I have the greatest ministry on the face of this earth. And I say that because every time I get to minister, I get to exalt Jesus. Every time I get to minister, I get to proclaim the good news of our Father's heart. How can you have a better ministry than that? Amen? It's not how many you're preaching to. It's what the Father has put inside us and what He's given me to do. And Cindy and I are just so very blessed. You know, before I begin, I just wanted to say, I've got a tough act to follow after last week. This really isn't right, you know. Cindy's message of who we are is a message that we need to remember. And today I'm going to be talking about why knowing who we are is so important. At least I'm going to give you one reason why it was so important. It was interesting because last week when Pastor Mark and Valerie asked me to speak this week, they first asked me to do a communion message. And I said, okay, that's fine. Pastor Mark called me and said, but by the way, if the Lord's putting something else on your heart, feel free to give that message. Well, as it turned out, the Lord was already working on a message in me. I just prayed about it a little bit, and the message that you're going to be receiving today is not a communion message, but it is so tied into what Cindy gave last week that I think you're going to be truly blessed by what you hear. Before I begin, I'd like to pray. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here this morning. You are far more than welcome. You are needed. I need you. We all need you. That the words that are spoken here would be your words. That they would be received deep into our hearts. That we may live by them and grow by them. In Jesus' name, Amen. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. You know, in Jesus' last discourse with His disciples, four times He referred to the Holy Spirit. And He referred to Him as parakletos. In the King James, that's translated comforter. In the New King James, it's helper. But the definition of parakletos is the one summoned. The one who is called to one side for aid. That word is only used five times in the New Testament. Four times to the Holy Spirit. One other time. And that's in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. Where it says, My little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have a parakletos with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. The Holy Spirit is our comforter, our helper. So is Jesus. And as a preacher, the Holy Spirit, as a minister, as a child of God, the Holy Spirit knows what I need. Amen? He knows what all of us need. He knows what the church needs. And so often, 
those of us who do have the honor and privilege of standing before you, we're not just up here as a PhD professor spilling out wisdom in a classroom. Most of the time, at least with me, the Holy Spirit is giving me something to preach because I need it first. And so this message, that's what it's all about. It was a message I needed in my life. As I was going through it, God said, share this with my family. So this message was birthed in Haiti very recently after the hurricane. I gave it at one church. It was for me, but I still need to hear it again and again. And I believe it's going to be a blessing to you as well. Cindy and I had been going through a very difficult season in Haiti. In my younger years, I used to watch boxing quite a bit on TV. I don't anymore, but I was watching it back in the days of Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran and Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and they called it the sweet science. I think it was mostly because there was a method to their madness, and they would come and try to get in with the body shots to lower the fists so they could get in, then they could work up to the head. Well, I bring this up because I really felt like I was in a boxing match in Haiti. I was absorbing a lot of body blows, an occasional shot to the head, but no knockdowns, no cuts, no blood. But after 10 rounds of this, of absorbing body blows, you begin to wonder if you can go on anymore. Maybe you've been through a season in your life like this. You understand what I'm talking about. I'm going to share a few things with you only so you understand where we were at as we were dealing with what was going on around us. And I have to tell you, it's more than just the physical. It's more than just the things that, that happen physically that you need to deal with. It's what's wearing on you mentally and emotionally as you're going through these things. And it seems like at times it can just build and build and build. The first five weeks we were in Haiti after we returned, we were having a great time. Everything was going awesome. We were preaching at church conventions. We were on the radio during those conventions. We were giving altar calls, seeing people saved, praise God. It was just an awesome time. And then all of a sudden, the body blows started coming. I lost a filling, a huge filling in one of my teeth. It was so bad I could feel where I was missing my tooth. Now, none of us really enjoy going to the dentist in the United States. But here, I had to go to a dentist in Haiti, in a third world country. Not knowing what to expect, wondering whether I should just fly home and get this tooth taken care of. That's what I mean when I say it's not just the physical. It's the mental and emotional part of dealing with the physical. As it turned out, the physical wasn't that bad. The dentist did a good job. I haven't had a problem with the tooth since. But I had to go through a lot to get to that stage where my tooth was fixed. 
And I'm not going to go into all that here. Next, we lost power. The electric company, no power. It was our only source of energy. And that happens on occasion in, in Haiti, and we don't get too worked up about it, but it's usually like a day or two days. But then it turned into three days, and we started wondering if we hadn't paid our bill on time. Then it got to be four days, and then five days, and it started wearing on us. So finally we called a pastor friend, and he goes, you know, they had a problem on your line down the road. Some part blew up. And they don't have spare parts. So they have to order this part from overseas. As it turned out, we were without power for six weeks. And it's not just being without power. It's just, again, it's the mental that just drains on you after a while as you're trying to be comfortable and live and, and minister then shortly after the power went out, our oven stopped working. Unfixable. Well, the power had been out for so long that we borrowed a generator from our pastor friend so we could get two or three hours of power a day. Well, about the third day, I don't remember, I went out to start it, and out comes the cord. No way to fix it. Didn't have the tools. Wouldn't have known how to begin to do it anyway. After we didn't have power for a week or two, we decided, you know what, maybe we should start thinking about investing in an alternative form of energy. So we went out and got a couple solar panels. And then we needed, of course, an electrician to wire them up into the house and into our breaker box. So on the recommendation of a friend, a pastor friend who's lived in Haiti all his life, he sent somebody over. Should have been a two-hour job. This man was there for three days. It was obvious after the first day that he had no idea what he was doing. But he kept saying he did and he would get it fixed. Our pastor friend said, yeah, he can fix it. Three days of dealing with an electrician who didn't know what, what he was doing. He finally left after those days and we hired another electrician who came back and had us hooked up in two hours. But in the meantime, for those three days, all we're doing is dealing with this electrician. Seven hours, eight hours a day. And then, hallelujah, praise God, power came back on. It was on my birthday. Cindy and I and our pastor friend had gone out to have a birthday dinner at a beach. We came home from that dinner and we're all in a good mood. Everything is, it was a great time. And here are all the lights on our street, which hasn't seen lights for six weeks. We're, we're fired up. We get into the house. We are the only ones that don't have power. Had no idea what to do. Couldn't do much. It was night. We went to bed, got up the next morning, sitting outside drinking coffee. And Cindy comes up and starts looking around. And, and she goes, our power line is gone. I go, what? And I look, and sure enough, we lived in a walled-in area. Razor wire on the top of the walls, all the way around their house. Sometime during our power loss, somebody had gotten over that fence, came in, and took our power line 
basically from the box to our house. Who stole it? It's worth something. So we didn't have power. Everybody else did. We had to go out and get some new power lines, had to get the electrician, come back, hook us all up. So we had power. Well, for two, three hours a day, and that's usually about one o'clock in the morning. We had that for like six days. You know what happened next? The hurricane. So we dealt with the hurricane. For 12 hours, the wind blew. It rained much longer than that, but for 12 hours, the wind blew. We had water in the house. Finally, the next day, things calmed down. Tried getting water to shower. And the water's coming out real dark. Now, in Haiti, there are shadows on the top of roofs, which are hard rubber containers. We had a 500-gallon container on the roof where we would pump water up to. And then from there, it was gravity-fed down so we can take showers and, and have running water in the house. All of a sudden, this water was very dark. So I went up on the roof. No shadows. I had filled it up the day before the hurricane. Had to have had 400 gallons of water in it. That hurricane took that shadow right off the roof. So we didn't have water from our shadow for, it took us a week to get a new shadow, get it hooked up. That's a whole other story that I could go into and go into. It was just one thing after another. But of course we have no power again. We have no phone. We have no internet. They still don't have power where we live. Then, the day after the hurricane, I went in to start up the inverter to draw some of that power out of our batteries. <laughs> inverter on fire. No inverter. No power from the batteries. No power at all, again. Other than we were able to use a generator to get some power per day. And of course, that was nothing compared to what we saw our Haitian brothers and sisters going through. Churches and homes demolished. 800 lives were lost. One of our interpreters, 18-year-old young man, lost his grandfather in the hurricane. And you might have seen some pictures of him when we returned and, and, and showed you some of the things from Haiti. Then, about a week before we ended up leaving, our refrigerator went out. You talk about body blows. It was a hard time. I was staggered, somewhat disillusioned. I was worn down and tired, almost to the point of discouragement. Then the Holy Spirit began speaking to me in that still, small voice of His. He did it through the Word of God. But what He was asking me is, what are you focused on? Where is your focus? And then through that same word, he started encouraging me. God encourages us in many, many ways. He does encourage us through his word, and that's what we're going to talk about today. But he also encourages us through other people and, and through experiences we can go through. Cindy and I have been just super encouraged by our, 
our time back here with you. We stopped in South Carolina before we got back here to visit with some friends, and, and we were very encouraged by seeing them and, and just had a great time with them. One of our friends took us on a little trip while we were there. They live very close to North Carolina. And in North Carolina, the Billy Graham Library is. Now, if you would have asked me when I first got to South Carolina, if my friends would have given me five choices and Billy Graham was on that list, that would have been number five. I never felt the connection with Mr. Graham. But we went. He told us that he was praying and asking the Lord what they should do with us. And Billy Graham kept coming up. So we went there. And before I continue, I just have to say, at the time, again, I'm, we're still fighting discouragement. And One of the things that had been going through my mind through my time in Haiti and, and as I had gotten back was I realized that my preaching style is different than most people, than most preachers I've heard. Matter of fact, I had hardly come across one who kind of has the same style that I do. You know, we compare ourselves to one another way too much, don't we, in the body of Christ. We look out and, and see what other people are doing, and then we compare ourselves. We had toured Billy Graham's library. It turned out it was his 98th birthday the day we were there. And there were two things I came away with that just really impressed me about that place. One is Billy Graham's ministry was never a business to him. All he cared about saving souls. He preached Jesus Christ and God's love. And as I heard him speaking this through the movies that they had showing, I said, how cool is that? I never would have thought that about, about Billy Graham. But all he cared about was giving people God's love and Jesus Christ. And he had said that, you know what, when I preach, I will just give up to 125 scriptures and I let the Word convict people. I was just so encouraged. And then I saw him preaching as a young man. Dark hair, suit. You know what? That man was on fire for the Lord. He preached with intensity and passion and he just gave him Jesus through the Word of God. I walked away from that place so encouraged because I just felt a connection. Lord, there is someone else that I can relate to. I don't claim to be Billy Graham, but our preaching style seems so close to me. So I'm not off somewhere on an island, right? God is who he has made me to be. And he's made other people that way. And we shouldn't compare ourselves one to another. And I was so encouraged. I say stay open to and receive all the different ways that God will encourage you. But now I want to encourage you through His Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. 
Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Anybody here felt like their outward man was perishing? Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. That word renewed means a renewal of spiritual power. Our inward man is being renewed with spiritual power day by day. Praise God. Then Paul goes on to say, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more eternal weight of glory. Did you ever consider what Paul's light affliction is, though? And that he consider it only for a moment? 2 Corinthians, same book, chapter 11, verses 24 through 26. Paul says, From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren. My stuff in Haiti doesn't begin to compare with that. How did Paul do it? How was he able to call all this his light affliction which was but for a moment? Let's go back to 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17 and 18. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us, what is it working for us? A far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. How? Verse 18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. What Paul is saying, what the Holy Spirit is saying, our present day afflictions are only working for us that eternal weight of glory if we are focused on the eternal things. If we are focused on the unseen things. However, I found it very interesting as I was studying out that scripture that in the Greek, the word things is not there. There is a word in the Greek language for things. It's used in Hebrews 11.1 1, where it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. That word is the Greek word pragma. It's translated six times as things. And it is the only Greek word translated things. That word is nowhere to be found in the Scripture that we just read. What is in the Greek is a definite article. It's translated most of the time, the, 
Sometimes it's translated that. 413 times it's translated which. And 79 times it's translated who. And I'm guessing it's based on the context. I'm not a Greek scholar, and I'm not saying it's a bad translation. I'm just saying that the word things is not there in the Greek. And that's why I've entitled today's message, The Eternal. There is one especially really good rule of thumb for all teachers and preachers and for all of us to remember as we go through life. And the saying is this, the main thing is keeping the main thing the main thing. And the main message of this verse is to stay focused on the unseen. My purpose this morning is to help us through all the tough times that may be ahead by encouraging you through the Word of God to keep our eyes, our mind, our heart focused on the eternal, on the things which is not seen. But before we do that, we have to identify what is the eternal. What is the unseen? That's a good place to start. Amen? You ready? This just blessed me so much. I believe it's going to bless you today. What is the unseen? John 20, 29. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Who is Jesus talking about? Me. He's talking about himself. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. He is the not seen. First Peter, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Praise God. The eternal, that which is not seen, has a name. And it is the name that's above all names. I'm here to remind you that no matter what we have lost in the past, no matter what we might not yet have that we are believing for, and no matter what might come against us today or in the future, we have Jesus. And He will never leave us or forsake us. He is the eternal. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, amen. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon His shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting or Eternal Father, Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. 1 Timothy 1. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Aren't we blessed that Jesus is long-suffering with us? Amen. Now to the King eternal. 
immortal, invisible, to God alone who is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He is the eternal. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. He is the great I am. He is the good shepherd and the door of the sheep. He is the light of the world. He is the bread of life, the living bread. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the true vine. He is the resurrection and life. He is grace. Ephesians 2.14 says, He is our peace. And 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 24, Christ is the power of God. That's who He is. 1 Corinthians 1, 30. But of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. 2 Corinthians 1, 20. For all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. We are in Him, and He lives in us. How awesome is that? And you know, that's how Paul was able to live through all that came against him, his light affliction. Paul lived out his life inspired by the author of what Hebrews wrote, what the Holy Spirit told us, a very powerful passage. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Again, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Look to Jesus. Looking is the Greek word aphorao. The definition of that word looking means to look away from one thing so as to see another. To concentrate the gaze upon. It's so similar to the definition of faith or believe which is really putting all your trust in another, Jesus, and not yourself. This is our answer. The key to victorious Christian life, looking and trusting Jesus, is the answer to overcoming every tribulation. But how do we begin to live this out in our daily lives? How do we keep our focus on the eternal. I have five keys I want to share with you this morning. Our first key, Cindy talked about last week. Knowing 
who we are. We'll keep our focus on the eternal. I encourage you to listen to that message again and again, as often as you need to, to remember who you are. And Hebrews 11, verses 13 through 16. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Cindy told you last week who we are. We are strangers and pilgrims on this earth. This is not our eternal home. We are not yet living in the fullness of God's kingdom. We need to keep our eyes on our eternal home, our eternal kingdom, and who we are right now. Second key, knowing the one who lives in us. We know who Jesus is. Amen? If you didn't before, you do now. Amen? And it's more than just knowing who He is, but it's knowing Him, being in relationship with Him. John chapter 17, verse 3. Eternal life is knowing you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Those are Jesus' words. That's how we live life. That's how we have the abundant life is through knowing our Savior, knowing Him in relationship. Our third point, to keep our focus on the eternal as we go through life, remembering our eternal purpose. I don't go to the Old Testament very often. Esther chapter 4, verse 14. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. You, we, were all born to be here at this time. We're not a mistake. This isn't random. God's put us here for such a time as this. Jesus' own words. Amen? What did Jesus say our purpose was? You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. In John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. The new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And of course, the Great Commission, Jesus told 
his disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Our purpose is to be Jesus' disciples and to make disciples. If we remember this is our purpose, we will have no alternative but to be looking to the eternal. Amen? Point number four. Understanding weakness. Understanding weakness from a biblical perspective, not from the world's viewpoint. We know what the world thinks about weakness. Weakness is a bad thing. And it's been ingrained in us since the time we were born. Amen? Pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. You know, Get it done. Just do it. If you don't, you're weak. And so often we don't want people to help us because we think it makes us look weak. But weakness is not an evil or a bad condition. The Apostle Paul knew it wasn't. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. Do you know that infirmities is not sickness? Infirmities is the same Greek word that's translated weakness. It's asthenia. And all it means is lacking strength. You know, a wonderful story that I think helps explain this point is the example of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And we remember Peter's pride. No, Lord, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. We need Jesus to be continually ministering to us. Amen? We need to know that we cannot operate in our own strength. We need to know that we are only the branches. Jesus is the true vine. And that all life and strength, not some, not most, but all comes through Him. When we understand that, we can be like Paul, where he says, I will rather boast in my weakness. How do you boast in your weakness? As in saying, apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. And when we get to that point, look how Paul finishes in 2 Corinthians 12, 10b. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And in the Greek, strong is dunatos, which means powerful. So when we know we are weak, we are powerful. And we can proclaim, I can do all things through Christ. Again, the main point for us as Christians 
is to understand weakness is not an evil place to be. And when we come to the place that we can truly understand how weak we are in and of ourselves, then and only then will we continually look to the eternal, to Jesus, from whom all power and strength comes. Let's go to point five. Hope. Our fifth point, our final point in keeping our focus on the eternal. I may hope the Packers win the Super Bowl, but that's a wish, not the biblical definition. Hope is the confident expectation of good. And the Packers winning the Super Bowl, as hard as it is for me to comprehend, might not be a good for everyone. You may have some Bear fans in here that might not like that. So how do we get true biblical hope? You already got it. 1 Timothy 1.1 We sang about it. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, our hope. We have come full circle. Back to where we started. It's always about Jesus. He is our everything. Amen? Colossians 1.27 Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is our hope. God is a God of hope. Romans 15.13 Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. His hope is His will for us. And it's within us. Again, the question is, how do we live in hope? How do we get it to manifest in our lives? Romans 15.4 For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of Scriptures, might have Hope. hope comes out of us and is manifested in our lives when our daily focus is on the Scriptures, the Word of God. Then we are focused on the eternal. First Peter, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers, its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. If we are focused on the word of God, we will be focused on Jesus. For from the beginning, Jesus is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In the beginning and to the end when Jesus returns to wrap this time of man's rule on the earth. Revelation chapter 19, 13. He's coming back. He was clothed in a robe dipped in blood and His name is called the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now abide faith hope, love, these three. Hope abides. Jesus abides. 
forever. But we have to take hold of that hope. We have to believe it. We have to confess what and who we have living within us. I want to share one particular scripture whose patience and comforts gave me hope and encouragement in my recent time of need in Haiti. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. Lord brought me to this scripture after the hurricane. Not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I just want to break down the Scripture a little bit for you. We also glory in tribulations. Glory, that word. It means to boast, better to express, or let it be known. And tribulations is the Greek word philipsis, which just means any kind of pressing or pressure. And Jesus talked about this, of course, in John 16, 33. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. We can't escape or hide from tribulation. We may end up even having more because of who we are. We're not of the world. The world doesn't like those who are not of its own. We do not belong to this world, but to the kingdom of God knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And I don't know about you, but all my life, I have needed perseverance. I have been a quitter in my life. I've quit things more times than I can even begin to imagine. Things get tough, I'm out of there. Even when we went to Colorado to go to Karis for a year, things started off so awesome for us out there. But then all of a sudden, it seemed like doors were closing. And I ran. I said, this can't be God's will anymore. I didn't have perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Dokume basically means approval. Tribulations produce perseverance. Perseverance leads to approval. That's the result of proving. When we go through tribulation, it's just to approve us before God and men. And of course, character, hope. Greek word, elpis, a confident expectation of good, a looking forward with assurance. And then we come to the power of hope. Hope does not disappoint. And it really means to confound. And in Webster's Dictionary, this is what confound means. Cause a person to become confused. Hope does not cause a person to become confused. Hope does not fail to distinguish between truth and error. Hope does not cause to be ashamed. Hope does not defeat or overthrow. That's the power of hope. That is the end result of tribulations working out in our lives. 
as I read this scripture, it just came alive to me. Because I then knew that all I was going through was producing the perseverance in me that I needed. It was producing character in me. I knew I was going to come out of all this stronger and a more mature Christians. These tribulations were bringing out hope and producing and manifesting the power of hope in my life. I knew this because God's Word says it. Stay in the Word of God. Search out these Scriptures. Meditate on them. And they will bring forth hope in your life. If we are keeping our focus on the eternal, you know what else we are doing? We are walking by faith, not by sight. We are then fighting the good fight of faith, as Paul wrote to Timothy. How are we doing this? Because our trust is in Jesus alone. We know who we are. We know what we have. We know our eternal purpose. We know where all our strength and our power comes from. And we have a confident, bold expectation of good in spite of what we face. We have hope because we have Jesus. So brothers and sisters, as we walk out our lives, both in the good times and especially the harder times, being led by the Holy Spirit, let us always keep our eyes firmly focused on the eternal, the one who will never leave or forsake us, the one who is for us, who will make all things work out for the good, who loves us so much that he laid down his life for us, who loves us through a Father's heart, who, if we will only allow, will bring us through every tribulation a much stronger, more mature child of God, better prepared to advance His kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just give You thanks for Your life that we have in Jesus. We thank You for Your Son. We thank You for this time of year as we just focus all the more upon Him and everything that He's done for us, everything that He is for us. We ask that the Word that You have spoken today would become ingrained in us, impacting our lives to allow us to draw nearer to You and become stronger in the faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen?